people can be deep and broad. And that's the skill set we're looking for today because everything touches everything. You can't deploy an application without touching the cloud today and having that be secure and using the infrastructure underneath you. So everything is touching everything else. So you have to have that broad perspective. And then you need to have enough depth to be able to do it as well. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I opted in by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. How's it going, Ryan? Oh, I'm pretty good, Ben. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. So we ran a blog post and a podcast early this year chatting with Mike Hendrickson, and this episode uh, is also being brought to you by his organization, Skillsoft. So our first sort of batch focused a bit on some of the top paying tech roles that are out there in 2022 and some of the skills you need to land them. We're talking about enterprise cloud architects, security architect, data scientists, slash architect. So we wanted to sort of redo that because it proved to be a very popular topic, but dig a little bit into some of the skills, hard or soft, power or sort of subtle that you might avail yourself of along with the things we talked about earlier, like the very specific certifications. So Ryan, I guess you helped to guide this blog post through. What were some of the comments? Like, what do you think it was that made this piece sort of jump out to our audience? I think everybody loves learning about how they can shape their career. You know, Mm, yeah. everyone wants to know where they can go, what's next. And I think one of the things that was great about the, the three roles here is that they weren't management necessarily. And I think a lot of people are looking for ways to stay IC, but move up in an organization. All right. So we'd like to uh, welcome back to the show, Mike Hendrickson. Mike, say hello to the folks, remind them who you are and a little bit of what it is you do. Hey guys, good to be with you again. I'm Mike Hendrickson. I'm a VP of Tech and Dev Products at Skillsoft. I help define our roadmap and what we're going to build for anyone in the tech professions. And Mike, you have a long background in sort of developer education, technical content with O'Reilly and Learning Tree, Wisdom Tree? Learning Tree and also Pearson Education, yep. And now, full disclosure, we are all part of the Process EdTech portfolio. So we're part of the tech conglomerate trying to help people educate themselves as developers. What's up, cousin? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So Mike, why don't you set the stage for people here? You were kind of doing this with us before the call. When you look at this from a macro level and start to think about these careers, what are the ways that people should look at it as they want to build towards it? Or, you know, if they've already come a little bit down the road, if they want to hone in on it? Well, the three roles we talked about were kind of architect roles, which is not necessarily a managerial type role or director role, but someone who still has their hands in the tech but is also designing and laying out a larger plan for whatever technology it is. And the three roles that we talked about were kind of data architect, data scientist, and those people are designing systems and infrastructure to put in place to make data useful in practice, which is important. Then the cloud architect, typically deploying company assets and systems and applications, data in cloud environments, for optimal performance, availability, and in a safe manner. And then the last one that kind of combines a little bit of those, security architects, 
that are designing and deploying safeguards to ensure that the assets and systems and applications and data is safe from wrongful access or you know harmful harmful use. So at that architect level, these people typically have more awareness of the softer skills or as we call power skills for tech people because those soft skills really are power skills for someone who is already adept at tech. All the different roles there have skills associated with them that we can talk about as well. I also thought it was interesting that these three are all sort of specialized tech roles. You don't see general software architect there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I've, in fact, that maybe that notion of enterprise architect, you know, with cloud and infrastructure kind of merging or coming together more closely, the focus is probably on cloud architect rather than general architect, because so many companies are either migrating or moving assets into the cloud. So I think that's why that one jumped out of the salary survey that we did. It was interesting. We did this podcast and uh, blog with you a few months ago. We published it in, I guess, February of this year. There were a bunch of comments underneath the blog about base salaries being elevated at a number of large technology companies. And in some cases, elevated means literally doubled overnight, which was kind of astounding. We're now in a bit more of a fraught moment where there seems like there's both a push and a pull. You know, there's a lot of layoffs happening at crypto and Web3 companies that maybe got a little bit ahead of themselves or are feeling a market downturn. Simultaneously, you know, the demand for developers everywhere, including I'm sure Skillsoft and Stack Overflow, you know, continues to be very strong, lots of hiring. So as you look out at this, I know we discussed the certifications on the first one. This is a little bit more, as you said, of a nuanced thing, thinking about the skills that would get you to this position. Are there different kinds of skills? I know you know you don't like the word soft and hard skills. So how do you define them and, and, and sort of how can our listeners think about the different categories of skills that might go into attaining one of these great roles? Sure. So, you know, there are soft skills that we really call power skills for developers. Those are, you know, typical things like program or product management sort of skills where you're directing where the product is going and you're evolving that product as well. That includes interpersonal skills, you know, the ability to communicate, to write, to present, to speak up and down the chain in your organization. Time management skills are still mm. really important, you know, and as a developer, everyone knows you can totally get into something and completely lose track of time and when your delivery is due and all of those things. So having good time management skills are going to be important. But then there's organizational type skills like budgeting and understanding the business models. Those are still kind of soft for a developer, but they're important to round out your skill set. But then you can move into things like systems thinking, you know, where you're starting to think more about a system than just an individual component, strategic development skills for your IT projects, thinking about those, how they evolve. You know, you can even throw in evolutionary architecture, that sort of thing. And then understanding the operational aspects of your organization are very important for developers as well. You know, with the world really working more and more in a DevOps fashion, understanding that operations part is really important for every every programmer and developer today. 
Do you think that specialization is something everyone should should aspire to, or is there a place for senior level generalists? I actually think if you can become a generalist, you're you're better off mm-hmm. knowing more about more things. And I think today's generalist really needs to go deep and broad. You know, in fact, I think Gartner has a thing about generalists, a paper written about it, that people can be deep and broad. And that's the skill set we're looking for today, because everything touches everything. You can't deploy an application without touching the cloud today and having that be secure and using the infrastructure underneath you. So everything is touching everything else. So you have to have that broad perspective. And then you need to have enough depth to be able to do it as well. So, yeah, I think that generalist is much better than having a specialized person. And before we dive into the three sort of career tracks we're talking about here, which I'm excited to do, and we can can pick apart some of the skills that are specific to them. If you were a developer sort of listening to this and taking in your advice, how do you demonstrate those capabilities? Because, you know, I could see showing up and, and talking about a certification. I could even see, you know, taking a course on something like systems management. But for things that are very important, like interpersonal skills or time management, is that something where you're going to need a referral from your previous employer just saying, hey, you know, Nancy was really great at these, you know, Bob really did excel here? Or is that something you feel like you can kind of have credentials in in a certain way? Yeah, those power skills are a tougher one to basically find out in an interview scenario. So references are going to be a helpful thing, but also Just bringing someone in for enough rounds of interviews with enough different kinds of people and both knowing that you have someone who doesn't communicate well, even have them interview with those people as well. So I think when you look at bringing people in your organization and you want to make sure they have the communication skills, give them a variety of people, people who communicate well as people who also may have a little more hiccups in their in their communication style. So I think exposing them to all of those to get a good round set on them is going to be important. Yeah. So I'm interested in what a cloud architect does. What what skills does a cloud architect need? From my perspective, they're going to have an understanding of organizational architecture. They're going to have an understanding of the business architecture. They're going to have an understanding of your information architecture your application architecture, and then lastly, probably most importantly, your technology architecture. So that person, and that's why I'm I'm thinking in the future, cloud and infrastructure coming so close together that you have to have all of those skills. And then you need to weave in project management, interpersonal skills, time management, working on budgets, business models, systems thinking, strategic development skills, operational skills, all of those combined with your development skills, understanding why you're moving things to the cloud. So an enterprise cloud architect really has a view of all of those components. And I think it's going to become even more imperative in the future as more companies move a lot of their infrastructure into the cloud and then offer that infrastructure as a service to their customers and their partners, it becomes even more important for them to have all of those skills. 
that's interesting. You talk about having to know the, the budgeting and business because you can build the world's fastest cloud architecture and you'll pay for it too. So it's understanding <laughs> a cloud architecture that won't break the bank. That's a really valuable thing for a good cloud architect. And ones that where speed matters, maybe you do break the bank. In instances where it doesn't, it's not as important. You dial back a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike, uh, where on the list here is uh, arguing for headcount and getting your budget approved. I don't see either of those <laughs> in uh, the show notes. They seem like essential skills for any successful architect. That would be interpersonal understanding <laughs> business models and budgeting. Got it, got it. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. All right. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've seen a ton of lift and shift talking with lots of clients and, you know, despite the fact that cloud native to me now feels like something I've been saying for three, four five years, there are still tons of enormous enterprises and even mid-sized ones that have yet to really fully make that transition or in the process of thinking through how to do it. So certainly an essential area where a lot of resources will be deployed in the future and, and one where architects need to have sort of a multi-threaded approach to thinking about the big picture. Think about cloud architects, it's you're building on a, another provider's infrastructure a lot of times. Do you think cloud architects need to specialize again and go deep on one architecture or should they learn about everything? Or is there a skill that they can get that will teach them about all possible cloud providers? That's a great question. And part of that what I hear implicitly in there is like, should you specialize in one provider over another? And the world is so hybrid and so mixed and multi-clouded right now that I would say the exact opposite. If you are an AWS shop, I would learn Azure or GCP mm-hmm. or another cloud provider because the world is so hybrid and so mixed that there isn't just one dominant player out there. So having the ability to understand all of the different clouds is going to be really important. And equally important are those people who support the organization from an infrastructure perspective. And a lot of them are called infrastructure support engineers. They're an endangered species. They're not as prevalent in the future. You know, they're they're dwindling. So they might want to start looking at becoming cloud ops engineers. And a good cloud ops engineer is going to need to make all of the different cloud instances that your organization have work together and work seamlessly together. The, you mentioned a lot, of, uh, a lot of broad skills for cloud architects, but it occurs to me that it touches on a lot of skills from these other architect positions, the data architect and the security architect. Do you think they need to have those skills or is that something they can rely on others to have? They need to have at least a competency, even perhaps a proficiency with that technology. We have five levels that we measure people on from awareness to literacy, to competency, to proficiency, to mastery. They have to be in that competency level of those other things. It's interesting because what really popped up on our radar this year so far is cloud security. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of two areas coming together and being Mm -hmm. very important for today's professional. And when you think about it, working on other platforms, you still want to ensure that whatever you're putting in there, you know it's secure, even if someone else may not know that, you know, because the cloud providers themselves they hire some of the best security professionals in the world. Right, they have to. 
you still have to have your own people internally understanding what it means and what are the levers you can push and what are the buttons you can, you know, pop in and pop out. So people have to know and be aware. And that's probably why cloud security is popping really well this year for us. That's a good transition to the next uh, architect role, security architect. What specific skills does a security architect need? Yeah, security architects, you know, from my perspective, they're, again, a broad set of skills because they have to touch all parts of your organization, including the non-technical parts, you know, the people who fall for phishing or, you know, bring something in from their network at home and infect everyone else. So they're broad. They're also having to have interpersonal skills, the same sort of power soft skills that other people in other roles of architect have. But there's, they also, it's an industry, I think, that changes quicker than the other architect roles. Security, because it evolves so quickly day to day, what new attacks are happening and how different people are trying to go at hacking into a company in different ways. They have to keep on top of it more than anyone. So I think one of their most important areas for a security architect is that insatiable quest for learning, to keep learning what's new, what's changing, always. That's implicit if you're going into security, that you will be learning over and over and over again. And then you can throw in there, you know, risk management, because, you know, I, I was at a, an event of couple of years past, it seems like a long time ago. And I asked a security information officer, what does he do on a daily basis? And he says, uh, risk management. I basically evaluate risk. Which ones are we going to let in? Which ones are we not? So risk is super important for people. But understanding the basics of an operating system and all of those things are so important. How your infrastructure connects people and machines together protocols, cryptography, you know, all of those things for a security architect, even though you, as an architect, you've kind of shown you have the experience, you still have to keep sharp with it. You still have to understand it. You can't become that manager who manages processes. You have to stay in the tech. So that implicit learning lifelong is what a security architect is going to be doing. I like the point you made there that this job touches so many other roles. And it's interesting what you said before, interpersonal understanding and a sophisticated understanding of the business. I could see both of those applying pretty heavily to ensuring overall security of a, you know, organization or a business function because, you know, you have a more nuanced take of what's valuable, where the weak points are, how somebody might approach people with the knowledge that, you know, they would need. So Definitely feels like, <laughs> to me, a role I would not relish. It sounds challenging in a lot of ways. <laughs> and and I, I sort of understand this coming from the world of communications, but not being ever on a crisis comms team, although I've had colleagues who were, you know, just needing to be constantly focused and learning and ready to take that phone call at 4 a.m. in the morning. It's uh, it's not for me. I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> it's interesting. It sounds like it's it's a ton of learning for, for one person. I mean, all of these architect roles sound like a ton of learning, but Security, you know, I uh, worked on the cloud security book before this, and you have to know so many things about how memory works, 
how hypervisors work, how, you know, like you said, the operating system work, like how much of this is just knowing all the things and making yourself indispensable and how much of it is just keeping up with the flows of the industry. It's so true that you always have to keep learning. And those of us who are kind of advanced in our careers <laughs> may have started back in the day of Unix and Linux. And then, you know, and you get that understanding of the layers mm-hmm. and the protection around the different layers that you need to have. And if you extrapolate that now to an organization and you think about X amount of people having all of those different layers exposed or open or not, and how do you close them? How do you keep them closed? I think the security architect role is probably the most difficult role in an organization other than probably CEO. You've got to give it to those people because their neck is on the line all the time. But a security architect designing a safe environment for everyone in their organization is a never-ending job and one that you're continually changing. And so you got to give kudos to those folks that do it well. What's the quote? The security architect has to be right all the time. The uh, attacker only has to be right once. Yeah, that's a great one. So let's let's talk about uh, the data scientist slash architect. Yeah, that one to me is the most, I guess, volatile um, because data science seems to be moving at a quicker pace. Although, like I said, security never cha- never stops changing. It seems like data has been that way for the last 10 years or so. And in data, I do include machine learning, AI, and things like that. It's part of that larger rubric. But for the data folks, one thing that we've heard and seen around the globe is that the mathematics and stats are a requirement. Like so many people think they have the math chops, but you really need to make sure you do to do real data science, not just do a couple visualizations and charts and call yourself a data scientist. But they also do have to understand how to make things speak and storytelling. So that data viz part and the storytelling part of it, which is kind of a soft power skill or a soft hard skill, mm-hmm. is needed. So it's kind of combining that power soft skill world with the hard world of mathematics and storytelling and that sort of thing. Understanding the basics like databases and how they store things and all of those are so important. And then if you look at today where the front front edge is more natural language processing and things like that, they're going to help organizations get to true AI solutions. And I say true AI because I think right now we have a lot of A solutions, <laughs> artificial solutions. Not a lot of intelligence is, is going into those yet. And I think that's partly because the whole data stack and process to get from your organization the meaningful data that can then be predictive or helping people where they need to go, that is what companies are struggling with building correctly. Once we get all of that infrastructure built, AI is going to be a much easier game. It's not right now, though. Right. I've heard some debates about this recently. You know, there continue to be astounding, at least research papers published uh, showing off some of the new capabilities from some of the big AI shops. And the argument was, sort of to your earlier point, at this point, we've got 
the right concept. We just need more parameters. Like we just need to be able to fit more data in here and run run our systems on it more times. And pretty soon, you know, artificial general intelligence is going to trickle out of these things and start evolving. But, you know, I do think to your point, the math and statistics are so important, not only because you want to progress in your career, but because you're building things that have so much potential significance for how we live our lives and so much uncertainty once they've been built as to how they're working and why. So kind of an area where, you know, there's a lot of talk these days around ethics. I'm sure that's an important sort of soft, you know, subskill you could have, but, you know, a really fine grained understanding of what you're building and why it's working seems paramount when we're talking about, you know, things that are investigating our medical histories or driving our cars or things of that nature. Oh, absolutely. Ethical AI and having it make the right choices. And even the developer's you know, the unconscious bias that we come into things with also needs to help be weeded out of that process. So I think two really important areas are ethical AI and unconscious bias, because as we build these AI machines, if we build them with our blinders on, it's going to be harder to make it useful for everyone without discrimination in there. So those two topics are going to be integral going forward. So you need the the statistics, the psychology, the sociology, maybe a history <laughs> background. Uh, right. yeah, or yeah. just know how to hire a great team and be sure you're listening to them. It seems like all of, a lot of these roles kind of touch on each other with the data. You know, if you're building data in the cloud, you're going to have to architect it in a way that doesn't break the bank. We've also done a lot of blog posts around data security and data privacy. So you're also going to have to think about breaches and securing data and all the privacy regulations. How uh, deep would you suggest a data architect go on security and cloud and that sort of thing? Enough to where they are, I would say, at the competency to proficiency level, where they can actually have a meaningful discussion with your security leaders and your security architects. So if they're getting help in their organization from the security group, they at least have have to have a working vocabulary, you know, to be able to communicate, understand what it means as a trade-off. Am I compromising performance for speed or for security? Which one of those do we take a risk on? Which do we not? They have to understand at that level and they have to keep going at that level. So I'd say it's at the competency to proficiency level in our tech. And that's like mid to high end. And kind of to your point, Ryan, and some of what you said earlier, Mike, you know, I think people who feel a passion for this and want to stay a little bit maybe closer to the IC role might choose to stay at architect within a certain organization as it grows or depending on its size, architect might, you know, involve hiring a team or managing one. And then, you know, yeah, I do think given how tightly interwoven all these things are, you know, we've spoken recently to people where, especially if they're at a fast growing organization, a CIO, CPO, CTO, can end up holding a lot of different, you know, responsibilities. And when they decide to step up to sort of a clear leadership position, might hire underneath them in some of these three roles we're discussing to help delineate so that there can be focus as well as collaboration. Because obviously within a single organization, you do need to have people who are thinking about the way these three things interact on a you know daily basis. Or or more than the three things. One one thing, you know, because there there is a lot to an IT organization. We've seen a, a real uptick in our we have a new series of courses called or actually Aspire Journeys called X for Leaders and Decision Makers. 
And it's not how to be a leader and how to manage people and projects. It's how to keep sharp technically for people who've gone down that management path. Because one of the complaints we did hear from customers around the globe was that some of the leaders didn't understand the technologies as much as they should have. Right. So if you take that fork in your career and go down the management path, even though you have an engineering degree in that level, you need to stay sharp with the technology. So make sure you keep getting training on those technology topics as well, because knowing that cloud infrastructure, security, data, all interweave with each other is really important for anyone. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I am going to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, somebody who came on Stack Overflow and helped save a question from the dustbin of history, spread some knowledge around the community that continues to help people to this day. To Philip, awarded May 19th, substring is not working as expected if length is greater than length of the string. Well, Philip, thanks for coming on. This question was asked nine years ago and has helped almost 60,000 people. So we appreciate you sharing your knowledge here. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email the program podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions. We'll shout you out. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You could find me on Twitter at rthordonovan. And if you have a great idea and want to write for the blog, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. And I'm Mike Kendrickson, VP of Tech and Dev Products at Skillsoft. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike H-A-T-O-R-A, or you can find me on LinkedIn. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.